Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting edition of the Pulp Hockey Podcast with Ray Ferraro. Otherwise, we should just call this thing the Ray Ferraro Podcast because, let's face it, he's the reason you're tuning in, and it's not me. I'm Steve Mathis, and uh, don't forget to uh, go to Amazon. If you if you go to Amazon, there's an Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com. You can go on there and make a purchase. We get a small slice of it uh, to help pay the hosting fees. And then also, two, two under, the number two, UNDR, the best men's underwear out there. Use the code FERRARO20 to uh, save at two under. A lot of NHLers, Major League Baseball people use two under for their underwear needs, and it's fantastic. All right, everybody, let's get to... Um, the show this week, TSN's Craig Button will be on. He is the director of scouting at TSN, former NHL uh, general manager, director of player personnel for the Dallas Stars. Craig will join us in a little bit here. But first up, he uh, he's works for TSN. He works for NBC Sports, former NHLer. Ray Ferraro, what's up, Ray? How are you? I'm good. I am just um, enjoyed a good weekend at home. I had uh, wife's birthday. We hung out with the family. And now uh, start another week of work. I'm off to Toronto tonight. Mm-hmm. Um we got the Leafs in Florida tomorrow, and then Leafs in Nashville on Thursday is my uh, are my games for the week. Yeah, the uh, going to Nashville ain't too bad. Nice city. Never, no. never a bad thing. The Predators never get enough. We don't. You don't. Other media never talk enough about the Nashville Predators. I feel. Well, they're a, well, it's, a, it, it's they're just, a tough team to talk about, only in the sense that you know they're they're a big deal in Nashville, but the size of their market doesn't. Mm-hmm. transcend itself to other markets. I would say the time zone they're in is the most challenging of the three in the, in the NHL. You know, like you, it's just, it's an yeah. odd zone that you're, yeah, you're, never thought of that. you're right, sure. two hours from the way. It just, yeah. it, it's kind of an odd, it, I don't know if that really makes much sense, but it's a tough, it's tough to watch in a lot of cases because you can watch an hour before the Eastern games start. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you're, there's going to be more uh, attention to some of the bigger markets in the East. And then the Western games are starting. And for me living on the West Coast, I need to pay attention here. So yeah. you're right, the Predators don't get a lot. But I think if people watch them, they find that they're, they're exciting. They, they can skate. They're, they can be dangerous. Um, they've, they've worked hard to be not just a pretty good team, but to be an elite team. And and this year they've really fought inconsistency a lot, mm-hmm. you know. Right from the very beginning of the year, you know, it was, um, you know, it was Subban for Weber trade, and then so Subban's got to get going, and then he gets hurt, and Rene has had a up and down year in goal, uh, but they can score, they can be dangerous. As I said earlier, mm-hmm. I I would be a little nervous about playing Nashville in a playoff series because if Rene picks those two weeks uh, to get sharp, yeah. You know, they they could be a real difficult out. Yeah, I never really thought of that. You're right. Like me, okay. So I like the Maple Leafs, uh, but if I'm going to sit down and watch a NHL center ice, which I often do, uh, game start 4:30, and then I watch a, a game and flip around. 
a little bit, but I'm invested in a game of my choice if the Leafs aren't playing. And then comes up uh, Calgary, uh, Vancouver, L.A. I'm watching one of those games later on. Like you're right, it, they skip. You skip over. You know, you yeah, skip, unless you're Chicago. Yeah. That yeah. people don't skip over. Yep. They get skipped over a lot. And it's I would say the same thing sort of plagues St. Louis from time to time. Yeah. Really good team. Um, on an amazing run in March. Yet unless you follow, you wouldn't really know that. And the, and I'm I've always felt the time zone is the mm-hmm. is the biggest challenge there, or one of the bigger challenges there. Uh we'll touch on my Toronto Maple Leafs. Are we are we good? Or or, or should I be worried? Freddie Anderson Pulled from the game, uh, they lost to Buffalo, which is, it doesn't really. I don't know that they've been so good lately. It's okay. They never play that well in Buffalo. They always know. suck in Buffalo. Right, I right. don't get it. I know. <laughs> I don't either. It's full of Leaf fans, right? Yeah. But um, so Freddie Anderson gets pulled. We think it's with a suspected concussion. The the neutral uh, concussion spotter apparently. Um, Babcock hasn't said much unless it's been this morning. Unless he said anything this morning. Uh, they 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 said today he skated 20 minutes this morning mm-hmm. on Monday morning um, with the goaltending coach Steve Briere and said he was um, uh, he got hit in the jaw and so jaw becomes part of the whole concussion yeah. protocol. Yeah. And said he felt a little off, and he's not sure when he's going to play. Oh, so I haven't heard that. Okay. So we you know, so, right. so that, but he skated today, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And so what they do is now they'll monitor him through today and into tomorrow and see how he feels. Um, what would be a trouble spot would be if he can't skate tomorrow. Right. If that exercise that he did today makes him feel uncomfortable and he's got to take tomorrow off, then you're probably looking at a week. In the minimum. Yeah. So it's funny, you know, Edmonton did not go out and get a goaltender Mm -hmm. because they felt they were good enough uh, behind Cam Talbot, who even though he's had a couple of tough games, has had an amazing year. They felt Laurent Brossois could be their backup. And Brossois won. Uh, He came in in relief twice, Mm -hmm. and then he won his first start in forever on the weekend. So they didn't go get a goalie. Toronto did. Yep. And... Now, it's Curtis McElhaney. And McElhaney said that, you know, he's never started a, a game as big as the one he's going to start tomorrow. I saw that quote. It's a Tuesday in, against Florida, but okay. All right. Well, yeah, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Tuesday, Florida, it's the playoff. Yeah, I guess. Like, they're, they're not locked in yet. No. So comfortably. Yet, I think they're going to make it. McElhaney's done a good job for them. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not Freddie Anderson, and there's lots of nights – you can point to Freddie Anderson and say, until they got on track, if he wasn't great, they were going to be in trouble. Yep. Like he's, he's, had a, he's had a phenomenal year for the Leafs. It's hard to believe that in October he had like an 861 or yeah. 2 save percentage. Yeah. I, that seems like forever ago. I was worried when I saw him early on, but then I started reading a little bit. And again, you know, you don't follow it as much as close as you do as your home team or your, your team of choice. He kind of went through the same swoon in Anaheim here and there. Every year they pointed to this stretch of Freddie Anderson would not be that good. So apparently that keeps it going, even though he's in Toronto. Well, and, and I think it's pretty clear that, you know, outside of the, the notoriety of, of, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, um, mm-hmm. their most valuable player is, yeah. is Freddie Anderson. Yep. Yeah, I agree. They, know, they, they won games when Marner, or they won games when Matthews went 13 games without a goal or yeah. eight games without a point. They won games when Marner was hurt or Marner's been quiet. They don't win many when Anderson's not great. 
No, no, absolutely. Wow, well, they're one, one up on uh, on Boston for the second wild card, and they're they're three up on Islanders to 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 be out of the thing. So yeah, I like their I like the chances, but Freddie's got to come back asap. Um, the Pacific Division. So we talked about it a few shows ago, and I think even you said, Ray, you're like, Sharks are locked in, uh, you know, for the one seed, and we talked about the Oilers and the Flames and everybody else, and, and uh, you know, going in, in, in Anaheim came out of nowhere, 8-1-1 in their last 10, and now Anaheim's in the lead two up. They've all played the same amount of games. Um, that's exciting. I'm, I'm going to start watching, uh, tracking that division, watching those games a little closer. Um, who do you like, and what, do you, what are you thinking right now about Anaheim, San Jose, and Edmonton? Well, San Jose played everybody else back into the division by losing six straight. Yeah, and and I just didn't see that coming. No. Um, now they uh, on the weekend, Logan Couture got hit in the face with a puck. I don't know if you saw it. It's brutal looking. Slap shot from the point that gets deflected hits him right in the mouth. And um, his dad tweeted out to the Sharks broadcaster that said, "You know, I, I hope he's doing okay." He said, uh, "Sadly, a, a pretty ugly injury." Yeah. So I would suspect that Couture's not, it's not even in the realm that he would yeah. be back in the next little bit. That's a big loss for them. So now they've got to get their stuff together here without one of their best players. Anaheim is rolling along. Patrick Eves has got six goals since he was acquired at the deadline. But the real, there's been two keys. John Gibson went out with an injury. And who would have thunk? Oh, I know that Randy Carlisle <laughs> has to keep tapping Jonathan Bernier on the shoulder. <laughs> right? There's there is a there is something just fabulous about that. <laughs> and you know I'll always side with the player, so yeah. I'm really happy that Bernier has played so well because they ran him out of Toronto. Carlisle didn't want to play him. No. Nope. And and there's you know, I mean <laughs> that then he ends up in Anaheim and now he's he's their backbone. He's been terrific, but since the uh, since they took their uh, mandated uh, week week long yeah. break, uh, Getzlaff has has got I think he's got twenty three points in twelve games. Yeah, I was going to say he's been huge, red yeah. hot. Yeah. Four assists against uh, the Rangers last night. Um, you know Perry started to you know dig his way kind out of, of turn a, around. The, yeah, yeah, the season long doldrums. He's got fifteen goals now. But Raquel has been terrific. Uh, Silverberg's had a good year, and then they've added Eves, and you know, so now they're they're the team that is right now. I mean, there's you'd say that's the team that's going to win the division. But what if they lose three straight? Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any teams in the league that are so much better than everybody else that they're slump proof. Mm-hmm. You know, the the only one that is is Washington, who's already been through their little as as. Uh, you know, Barry Trotz called it their little their little slump, but mm-hmm. it was more than it wasn't quite a slump to me. It was more like they fell asleep a bit, and it yeah. took them a while to dig their way out of it. I think they're the best team, uh, but the Pacific is you know there's Edmonton. They sit right there too, and I I think Anaheim is in the best shape uh, right now because their best players um, are are kind of at the best part of their games right now, and that's a it's a pretty nice group to be leading your way. Yeah, no, for sure. And you like the Anaheim fact that they've been there and done that, right? Like you, that, that gives them a bit of an edge, you feel? Uh, I do. Um, you know, I, I will say this about that. It's almost like the Leafs. They gave up so many early, early in the season two-goal leads. Eventually, you either collapse under the weight of it or you build up a little alligator skin. 
Mm-hmm. And I think the Leafs have built up a little alligator skin. Well, Anaheim's been kicked around in the playoff, um, like the disappointing finishes. They've been so close, but they just can't run it over the goal line. And I do think that helps you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really do. Now, San Jose had a terrific playoff last year after a good year. And really, they look pretty solid, unspectacularly, but solid most of the year. Now, they've, man, they've gone backwards so fast. You're like, man, do they have it to turn around, especially without Couture? I, yep. I, think, it's a real, I think it's a real tough spot for them. I don't, I don't think they're in any real danger. I, I still wouldn't want to play San Jose in a playoff season. No. Um, but, they're, you know, they're in a real tough spot here. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Anaheim and their playoff collapses because all the guys are the same. You know what I mean? Um, if I'm in a if I'm in a first round or a second round with these guys, um, if things if you put a little heat on them, if things turn your way, maybe they start getting old feelings. You know, Randy, of course, we got the game seven, Boston collapse under Randy, but I mean he's got a cup. Yeah, but too. what's that got to do with? with uh, I don't. I don't know. Randy. Nothing. Um, and nothing to do. And the Leafs were no good. <laughs> the, and they lost to a Stanley Cup champion. All so. right, fine. Listen, uh, Ducks have four away games left, three home, and they're only 500 on the road. So maybe there's that, you know, um, if you're looking at uh, down the schedule, coming, coming, down, the, coming down the road. So um, it's puzzling why a team would be so much – a good team would be not that great on the road nowadays. Like, don't you feel like home ice advantage has gone away uh, in many it's, times? It's less than it's ever been. Right. right. Um, and and my, my thought on that has always been that as the new arenas were built – they were all so similar mm-hmm. and comfortable and bright. You know, they didn't have any pits like the Boston yeah. Garden where you, yeah. you didn't even want to walk in the shower in bare feet because it was so dirty. <laughs> there was one light in the dressing room. <laughs> you know, it was gross. Yeah. But that was the, the Chicago, Chicago Stadium. The visitor's room was down about 30 steps to the basement, but that was right beside like the, like the ice plant. <laughs> It was like gross down there. So that was what. That's what. So you'd go in there, and the rinks were all odd sized. Yep. You know, and like Montreal in the old Forum, the dressing room and the the visitors room. Mm-hmm. You, it, it was like a odd shaped, small, hot. <laughs> you know, it was yeah, gross. Yeah, right. But that's the way it was, and that's what they liked. And then the garden, they're hanging over top of you. You know, they're yeah, just and they, they didn't have they didn't have a bunch of uh, uh, polite players back then either. That no. was a that was a wild place to play. Oh, you mean the the Boston Garden. Gardens? No, I meant Boston Garden. Yeah. Oh, Boston Garden. Yeah. They, that was not yeah. a very fun place. To the play. Leafs were fine. You guys could. They were so crappy every year. <laughs> yeah, they, it was a cool old rink, but they weren't very good. Right. Um. So yeah, it's interesting to see to see that. Um. Next thing we'll talk about is uh, how awesome Eugene Melnick is. I guess he finished the forensic audit of Carlson's uh, Matt Cook, right? Was it Matt Cook? I think on on uh, Carlson's. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's finished with the with the forensic report on that, and now uh, Crosby's a whiner. He's always been, and and he's very upset about this slash on Mark Mathot, um, which is awesome. Eugene, Eugene's great. <laughs> well, I mean, he he should be upset about it, but. You know, he's somebody put out a a few videos of senator players, you know, <laughs> right. butchering away at other guys' hands too. Like, stop it! It happens all the time. If you don't like it, yeah. then the there should be a penalty for it. Like, I thought Crosby 
absolutely should have been penalized. I think it should be a five-minute major. Not because Mathot broke his finger, mm-hmm. but because he took a baseball swing at yeah. his stick. Yep. But that's never called. So if they want to stop it, the league, then you've got to start calling penalties. Because if you don't, why would you stop if you're a player? Mm-hmm. And when he says Crosby's a whiner, I'm trying to think of the last time I heard Crosby complain. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea. And, and the answer is a decade. Maybe when he was 18 and 19, he was a complainer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he had to get used to the incredible stress that he was going to have to play his career under, not just from the media, but, you know, in yeah. everything he said would be dissected. But every game, he's a target. Mm-hmm. I don't ever notice Crosby whining and complaining. I just yeah, don't. Yeah. I mean, so I couldn't disagree more with his position on what he thinks Crosby is, unless he wanted to say he's the best player in the world. I, I, I disagree with him. I mean, I don't disagree that he's defending his player. I don't disagree at all. Yeah. I looked at it like, hey, from Gretzky to Lemieux to Crosby, McDavid will be a whiner. Every single star player in the league is always accused of being a whiner for whatever reason. You know, I'm just well, like, yeah, whatever. One of the reasons is they get tired of getting their <laughs> their hands chopped. <laughs> you know, they're just getting chopped to bits because mm-hmm. look, nobody spends any time worrying about the other team's fourth line player. Oh, we gotta target yeah, him, we gotta get right. to his hands, we gotta be physical on him. But those guys you just mentioned, there's the whole game plan. Yeah. And so yeah, you bet they complain sometimes. But I haven't heard Crosby I'm maybe I got my head in the sand, but I haven't heard Crosby do it. In forever. I can't even remember the last time. Yeah. You know what I find funny is, okay, so absolutely I think that should have been a penalty. If that slash is done on a stick and the stick breaks, it's a penalty. Everybody sobs. Everybody starts yelling. It's a penalty. And we're we're treating sticks more valuable than actual bones and hands. It's ironic. To me, it's, it's not even whether it hits his hands or his stick. If you flash at the stick in hands like Crosby did, yeah. that should be a penalty, no matter what you hit. But it's not a penalty in our game. It doesn't get called. So why would it matter if you break a guy's stick? Yeah. I, I, and if, if those sticks break. You could slash a guy when I played on a wooden stick like that, and the stick wouldn't break. If you broke a guy's stick... Man, you were you were like Paul Bunyan <laughs> right. to break a wooden stick like that. Yeah. But the sticks now break so much easier. So to me, the the motion that Crosby made should signify a penalty. And if they're not going to call it a penalty, well, then sometimes somebody's going to get their finger broken, mm-hmm. and it sucks. Yeah. So to me, the way that you protect the broken finger is by calling that motion. Right. But... They never have. I guess they won't. I don't know. Well, but you can start. Yeah. No, I guess. Now, if Crosby breaks his hand there, is it any different? Um, Yeah, absolutely, I think, right? Don't you? Well, but I don't think Mathot... If if Mathot slashes Crosby like that, Mathot breaks Crosby's finger, I don't think Mathot should be suspended. No, but I think think he he does get suspended. I think he does get suspended, don't you? Or no? Well, I, I would certainly hope not. I mean, I mean, that would be beyond ludicrous. Do you think that Crosby even got a phone call from the Department of Player Safety or anything? No. Yeah. 
It's crazy. I, I don't. Right. Because of the way they call it. Yeah, now, just... you, you, can't, you can't have anything both ways. If you're, you can't complain that Crosby broke his finger. If he doesn't break his finger, there's no penalty. It should be a penalty. The fact that he broke Mathot's finger, you're not going to find out till after mm-hmm. the incident is over. And the referee doesn't have an x Yeah, they're not, not going to be like, oh, hey, what's the diagnosis, right? You know, like, you penalize the act. Mm-hmm. That's just like when a guy takes a, um, he elbows a player and gets his elbow up and just misses his head and they don't call it. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Because he missed, he's okay. He was trying to elbow him in the head. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm talking about uh, something that's so clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, you you penalize the act, not the outcome. Um, would you be okay? And maybe this is a dumb idea. Just tell me. I'm sure you you won't be scared to. I will have no problem. Yeah, but like, okay. So my thoughts out for a long time. It was a baseball swing. Um, you know, would you be okay with them going saying, "Look, you did injure the other player. He's out now. You don't got to be out for that long, but you you get a suspension because you've." You've hit him so hard, you broke his tip of his finger off, um, and therefore you should be suspended. Like almost like any play. I mean, any play that gets a guy they can injured. Do that Steve, they can do that. That's that's already there. But they don't. Supplemental discipline right. is a supplement to whatever discipline has been handed out, which was none. Right. So but... they could have fined him. They could have suspended him for a game. The way around it is the referee calls a penalty, either a minor or a major, and that becomes the penalty, the, mm-hmm. the quasi-suspension. Even <laughs> yeah, yeah what, you know. whatever you want to say, right. Yeah, but because he's got to sit out of the game, part of the game. If you don't penalize him, and there is no supplemental discipline, why would Crosby change? I wouldn't. Yeah. For what reason? I think that they can go, I think they should be able to say, or they should, hey, what you did, we don't call that all the time. It happens every game. Johnny Gaudreau had it earlier this season. Right. Um, what you did was was so bad, you broke the tip of his finger. And then when Gaudreau broke his hand, that person, I forget who it was. Um, uh, that wasn't that Ryan Suter? I don't know. Was it? I thought it was against it was the a Minnesota player. Oh, see, sure. see, I thought it was the Blues. So there we go. Um, so they they should say, look, we know that that happens 20 times a game, 30 times a game. We don't care. You broke his hand. You broke the tip of his finger off. You're suspended. Judge on suspended the injury for a game. I don't. Yeah. I don't have a yeah. problem with that. Yeah. My my problem is that I don't think the Department of Player Safety is is firm enough so the guys feel any worry or stress yeah. Yeah. over it. Yeah. So I I think if you're even if you're unsure, then suspend. Mm-hmm. Don't default to not suspending because if you if you suspend more rather than less then the plays that you're even in question on those are the ones you're trying to clean up yeah and maybe somebody thinks about it because if i'm a player in the nhl right now and another guy's skating down the ice i don't even think twice about slashing his hands right right why would i worry about it you i'd be more worried as you brought up initially i'd be more worried about hitting his stick yeah because yeah. the chances of breaking his finger, quite frankly, are a lot less than breaking his stick. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the hole. Think in, how stupid that sounds. I know, right? The hole in my theory is that okay. So you trip a guy, 
he lands on his uh, wrist. Uh, no, that's not a suspension. I mean, no, I know, nice. but if, but my theory is you you injured him, so therefore you got to go. Oh, well, so my theory. I mean, that's yeah. If that's even part of the equation, then then you're, you're out. You're, you're signing off on my theory. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Then yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, speaking of of uh, signing off, let's sign off now and bring in uh, Craig Button. Uh, you work with him at TSN, former general manager, Calgary Flames, uh, a real good guy, real passionate guy at TSN. Uh, not scared to. Um, you know, get into it and offer his opinion. Smart guy, too. Been in the game a long time. He's done a lot. Yep. All right, let's bring in Craig Button now on the uh, Paul Pocky Podcast with Ray Ferraro. And now, like we promised, let's bring in uh, our first guest on the Paul Pocky Podcast with, uh, with Ray Ferraro. He is uh, the TSN Director of Scouting. Uh, he is former GM of the Calgary Flames, Director of Player Personnel for Dallas Stars for a number of years. Craig Button. Craig, what's going on? Thanks for joining the show. Well, spring is in the air. I don't know where you guys are at, but I know here in Calgary, spring is in the air, the snow's melting, and I love it. Uh, and you've got a team in your home city that's going to make the playoffs for the first time in a few years, too. That's That's got to be pretty cool around the city again. It, it, you know what, Ray? It, it, it's exciting. And, and, you know, early in the year when they were stumbling and bumbling a, a, along, you know, there was, oh, boy, you know, people are starting to really think, oh, are we ever going to have a good team again? But, but but not only are they playing well, they are a good team. And I think that they, you know, with Edmonton being back in the playoff picture, you know, there's an excitement again back in Alberta. And certainly, uh, you know, you look at now the Pacific Division. I mean, it's wide open now from one to four. And where a couple weeks ago with San Jose seemingly uh, locked and loaded for first place, it's right there for the taking for anybody. So down the stretch will be exciting as well as the playoffs. You know, Craig, you mentioned something and it, it kind of jogged a thought I had. Um, you know, so you've been in the general manager's chair. You've tried to make big deals. You've tried to make little deals. And in Calgary, when they acquired two players that maybe don't knock anybody's radar crazy, uh, Michael Stone and Matt Barkowski, that kind of organizes their defense. Anaheim gets Patrick Eves a week or so before the deadline. And it's like all these other moves that were anticipated were bigger names. And yet how, how do you go about targeting a player that's maybe so far under the radar, maybe not in Eves's case, but they make significant contributions like the two D-men in Calgary have? Well, you know, I love your I love the use of organized because I think the teams, you know, throughout your lineup have to be organized. They have to have players in spots that they can handle the responsibilities of those slots. Ray, you know from playing, I mean, over the years, how many players are not that they're bad players, that they get pushed into situations that they're not able to handle to any great degree of success. So now people get mad at the player and it's not the player's fault. And I and I think that, you know, they tried some younger players in the spot that Barkowski was in. And they came to a point where they said, hey, you know what? We need a little more experience back there. And we only need them to be a 5-6 defenseman, a, a bottom pair defenseman. And they wanted a little more stability for uh, T.J. Brody. And, and that's what Michael Stone has provided. So it, it, it's not just, you know, you, you look at these smaller deals. You look at Patrick Eves trying to add some scoring, you know, a little more scoring to the Anaheim lineup. It, and it not only helps their team but it helps everybody else and that's why your 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 word organize is so important because you got to look at all those areas on your team because you well know if, if you end up with a spot in your team that's really weak 
the opponent is going to drive a, a, a Mack truck through it uh, once they open up that hole. And that hole only becomes wider and really prevents you from having success. So I think that, you know, it's always nice to talk about the big deals, but getting players into the right spots and really allowing them to play to their capabilities, I think is so important for any team. So, so a player like Barkowski, though, interests me. I live in Vancouver, and he had a real tough time in Vancouver last year. There were times when he looks really good because he skates well and carries the puck, but he was prone to you know, a, a turnover at the worst possible time, and it happened a lot. And so then he doesn't even get an NHL deal this year. He's in the American League, and he's got to wait. Why can it work all of a sudden? Is it that he gets slotted maybe in a perfect spot almost by accident? Well, I think I think that has a big part to do with it. You know, you got Giordano, you got Hamilton, and you got Brody, right? The situation in Vancouver last year, they're trying to work in a young Ben Hutton. So so he's going to, you know, have his own growing pains. You're trying to, you know, Edler was coming off an injury. You're trying to figure out, you know, what he is. I mean, there's a number of different challenges, you know, within that group of defensemen in Vancouver. And I think Barkowski, if you know what a player is, and you just say, hey, this is what we need from you, Give us this. I think players can really, you know, comfortable isn't the right word, but I think that they can play to those abilities. One thing I learned from Daryl Sutter was he never asked a player to do more than he was capable of, and he was never going to put up that player. He was going to try as best as he could not to put a player in a situation that was above his capabilities, but he always told players, don't give me less than you have. And I think that that, the coach has to understand that, but I think the situation in Vancouver – you know, wasn't a, a, a real, what I would call the, the, the right fit. And as we see lots in the NHL, as we see lots in, in pro sports, you know, a player kind of gets tagged with a performance that might not be accurate if you take that step back and go, listen, we know what happened here, but we think he can fit here. I think that that's where the evaluation has to be continuous. Okay, so now you, you know, you're, for us at TSN, you, you scout, uh, young players across the globe. You're in Europe. You watch the young guys in the in the college ranks in the Ontario, Western, um, and Quebec leagues. So, what is the what is the thought process, and does it differ from team to team? About when you're looking at a young player that you might draft, do you look at an organizational need? Do you look at the best player? Do you, how do you slot a guy that you draft in the fourth round that? Like, how do you know that he's going to be there in the fourth round that somebody's not going to jump up and bite him before you get there? Yeah, I think that, you know, Ray, I was lucky when I started out with the Minnesota North Stars and somebody you know very well that coached you, Les Jackson, was, was a tremendous teacher for me, a real mentor. And, and a couple of things that he, that he always used to emphasize. You know, you have to really identify what a player's skills are. What, you know, what are his qualities and how do they translate to the NHL? And, you know, as, as, as for the draft part, I, I think you're trying, to, you're trying to understand, you're trying to get as much information as you can through your conversations, through your intel, whatever, to try to figure out how a draft will fall. You know, and the one thing he always used to say, we're better off taking a player we really like one round earlier 
rather than trying to be cute and smart and being mad that we didn't get the player because we were trying to, you know, massage the draft. Mm-hmm. If you like a guy, take the guy. If you feel that that guy's got NHL qualities and, and you want him in your organization, because you you're never going to be disappointed about a guy that you like that you get, but you're always going to be disappointed about a guy that you really like that you didn't get. So don't wait. Get them in the and, and you know one of the things he always always used to say too was you know what we don't need a big list we just need to know who are the players at that particular point that we think we have a legitimate shot at get them in order and then let's just pick them off and make sure we get them. Okay, so the top of the draft this year is either Nico Hishier or Nolan Patrick. Maybe there's another player that squeaks in there. Do teams draft positionally? Do they draft best player? Like at the top of the draft, I I, I would think. I mean, my guess would be you draft maybe more positionally if possible, but as the draft goes deeper, those guys are going to take three and four years, and it's impossible to project your your organizational strength four years mm-hmm. down the road. It, it, it is, Ray. And I, 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 you know, I think the first thing is, is you always want your prospect cupboard filled and all the shelves, whether it be a goaltender, defenseman, wingers. You know, you want, you want players, uh, you know, on those shelves. You know, when you get into the early part of the draft, you know, I, I think that, you know, the, the, you're, you're drafting the top players. You're looking at the top players at that point in the draft. And I, I think that if it's close, then you can start to look at, you know, okay, maybe, you know, we'd be better off taking a defenseman over a center or vice versa. But if it's not close, I think you have to take uh, the, the best player. And, you know, I always default to centers and, and defensemen if it's, if, if it's close over a winger. Mm-hmm. I think that you can get, you know, wingers in, in different spots of the draft that can develop. Centers and defensemen, as you well know, I mean, if they're hard to get. And if you want, try to get them, the price is really high to, to, to try to acquire them or trade for them. So I think you try to get those players that can, you know, that have really good skills and that you think can, can be good NHL players and go from there. Um, and, and one of the things I will say, I don't believe in building your team up the wings. You know, I think that you got to build your team up the middle of the ice and on the blue line because where teams run into problems is I think it's where they have those gaps in those positions. It's interesting, Craig. Uh, one, th- one thing I wanted to ask you about was we've seen goalies be drafted really high. Uh, number one, you know, number three, number four, Carey Price, uh, Mark Andre Fleury, and then we've seen, and then we've seen goalies that have great success in the NHL not be the highly drafted guys and and kind of come from you know second, third rounders or whatever. We're we're goalie rich, we're goalie weak. Then there appears to be a bit of a lull in drafting goaltenders. It's well, I guess I'll ask you, Craig. What's the deal with it? Is it in, is this just an inexact science? Are teams just scared to roll the dice, or is it, or is it simply for whatever reason there hasn't been you know goalies that, that are that talented enough to be in the top ten? Well, I think I, I think there's a there's a lot in there, and I, I the first thing I would say is it's a technical position, and it, and it takes you know it's it's like pitching. You know, there's guys you can go and you know put the radar gun on a pitcher, and you can say he throws 88 miles an hour or 94 miles an hour, but you got to learn how to pitch. Goaltenders have to learn how to goaltend, and I think that there's a process, and that takes time. So goaltenders develop at different rates, mm-hmm. and you know, and and then where you where you have them, there's only two on your NHL team two in the minor league team so you only have room for so many of them and they need time to play they need time to really 
apply their trade and apprentice and, and learn and, and be groomed. And, and I think because we see goaltenders take a little bit longer, we see goaltenders coming out of other parts of the draft. And because of some of the uncertainty where players are at at 18, I think that teams start to go, okay, where's the group of these players in the third round, for an example, the mm-hmm. group of goaltenders that we could take and go from there. But, but they have to, I think you have to, the goaltenders have to be, in, in the situation where they play. And they also have to be in a situation where they have instruction. You know, you go to major league baseball, mm-hmm. there are pitchers in the system. There's somebody working with them all the time on learning how to pitch. And I know the NHL has worked more towards that. Yeah. And you know, it's not the same depth in terms of the number of goaltenders playing, but I think that NHL teams are looking to do a better job in that area with, with respect to development of goaltenders, but it's a longer process. And, you know, you look at Russell Wilson with the Seattle Seahawks. He's a third-round draft pick. And, uh, you know, somebody goes in, in the top three picks of the, of the NFL draft, doesn't make it. This guy's a Super Bowl champion. I think that's, you know, the, the type, of, t- type of scenario that you run into at times with goaltenders. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see the shift in, in thinking. Uh, Craig, as a born and raised uh, Winnipegger, uh, Nolan Patrick has been the consensus number one for most of the uh, past year or so. Now, he's had some injury issues, plays for Rays alum, the Brandon Wheat Kings. Will Nolan Patrick be the first ever Manitoban to be selected number one? I think he will be. And, you know, talking to the teams that have the best chance at, at, at that spot, uh, I think they concur as well, you know, just in, you know, my conversations with them over time. You know, Nico Hischer is a really good player. He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a creative player. He's a, he's a skilled player. But, but so is Nolan. And, and Nolan goes about it a little bit differently. Uh, you, you know, he's a real thinker. He's real smart on the ice. Uh, you know, there's not a situation in the game that Nolan – not only complain, but not, but also excelling. And he, he, I always say it's really hard to measure mental effort. We see a lot of players with a lot of flash and dash, but being in the right spot on the ice, you know, you know, is, 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 is a really good uh, skill and a really good requirement. And, and no one has all those. He, he, he played through a pretty significant hernia injury last year and route to the Western Hockey League championship where he was the mm-hmm. MVP of the playoffs had surgery. It wasn't right. And, you know, I commend him for taking a step back and saying, you know what, I'm not going to get anywhere. And I might run the risk of having, you know, further injury or, or, or more damage. If I continue to play, he stepped back from it. And I, I think that as good as he sure is, and I, I think he's, he's there. I don't think he's better than Nolan Patrick. And I, I think mm-hmm. Nolan in this year's draft might be the only player that I can say could make the step to the NHL next year. And, and that doesn't mean somebody else won't yeah. or can't. I just don't see it right now. I, I just see a player that's, from the time I've watched him, 15 years of age to now, I've seen a player that's dominated at every point in time, and I don't see that changing. Ray, he may be a weak king, and he may go number one, but he does not have 108 goals, Ray. I, would, I am going to say without being – it will probably sound arrogant, but nobody will. I will die, and that record will still be there unless they make the nets like football net or right, like soccer right, nets. Right. It was different time, different life, man. There's, that's just not happening anymore. I do, Craig. Craig, on this show, I do like to bring that up because that is phenomenal. 
108 goals. Well, by well, our 108 goals. <laughs> well, you think about guys, they talk about a guy, you'll see a stat line, and you'll see, uh, you know, oh, he's had a, he, he had 108 goals in his career in junior hockey, you know, to, to put it in the, in the, in, in the one year. The, the other thing that I add to this, and, you know, the 108 goals is, is highly impressive. There's no question about it. But, you know, Ray is also one of the top 100 goal scorers all time in the NHL. And when you go down and you look at the players that may, I mean, he's going to remain in the top 100 for the foreseeable future. Because to Ray's point, mm-hmm. the, the game is different, and you know the the, the goaltending is a little bit better, so so the goal scoring, uh, you know, doesn't happen at the same rate, and the good goal scorers, you know, maybe get stymied a little bit more than they once did. But you know, you, you think about that 108 goals translated to the NHL big time. 108, Craig, and no invite to the World Junior Camp. <laughs> Well, yeah, didn't you have 50 at Christmas, Ray? <laughs> didn't matter. <laughs> Just not. Apparently, I need, apparently, they wanted someone taller or I don't know. Or 60, <laughs> 60 goals. Yeah, um, well, Steve, I got to tell you this. I rail all the time. Mm-hmm. I rail all the time. You know, and I see players small. The vast majority of mistakes at the NHL draft are on size. You overestimate the bigger mm-hmm. player and you underestimate the smaller player. And I always say about certain players, the only thing they lack is height. You know, so yeah. go ahead. If you, if you don't like the fact that he doesn't have height, he's got everything else you'd want in a player. But that's uh, it, it's amazing to me how and, and the mistakes continue to get made. And I'm going to say I don't see a change in some of the mentality of that. I think they'll still continue to be made. Yeah, it's, it's like the big guy has to prove he can't play, and the small guy has to pl- prove he can. Right? That's that's the old saying. Yeah. Always. Well, it, well it, you want to be always Kucherov you know? play. He's a heck of a player. Right, and yeah. watch him play in the NHL. He, he was a heck of a player when he was seventeen. Like he, he was doing the same things. Oh, he, oh, he's only five ten. Oh, okay, okay. Well, if you don't want a five ten <laughs> guy that's prolific, go ahead. Don't take him. Um, Craig, before I, uh, last question for me, uh, and we'll, we'll then go to Ray. Um, you were director of player personnel for the Dallas Stars in the glory years, Stanley Cup ring, uh, President's Trophy, uh, uh, you know, playoff contender for the Cup every year. But um, I had Rick St. Croix on here a little while ago, uh, Dallas goaltending, <laughs> goaltending coach. And, and I had someone else, and his name escapes me right now, but I always have to ask, the Ken Hitchcock, Brett Hall years, uh, they loved each other, they hated each other. What's your best story? What do you got from these two guys? Well, you, you, well uh, my favorite story, but I, I will say this. It's really interesting, and, and, and I think there's a, you know, you think about Brett Hall. I mean, he, he needed Ken Hitchcock, and Ken Hitchcock needed Brett Hall. They were both <laughs> trying to establish themselves as, as, as people capable of winning, and they did that, and they, they both benefited from one another. That's the first thing I'll say. But one of my favorites, uh, we were sitting at practice one day, and uh, they were doing a two-on-one regroup drill. And so they come back and they come into the middle of the ice and Holly gets the puck and he dumps it in the corner. And Ken Hitchcock blows down the, blows down the drill and Bob Gainey's sitting behind me and he just says, this isn't going to end well. <laughs> and so you're kind of watching and you're, you, you, that's all he said in that, word, in that, in that yeah, manner. Right. So again, he, 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 so they do it again. Holly comes in, dumps it in again. Well, now Ken is blowing the whistle fiercely. He's red in the face. Like screaming and yelling and yelling, do it again! I can't believe you're making this a joke. Like you, you, you. so they do it again. Holly comes in and dumps it in. Well, now Ken is ballistic and he starts going on. He's yelling at Holly. You know what? We're trying to do drills in the game. These are drills that are going to help us in the game. And Holly looks at him and goes, "Exactly. You want us to dump it in? So I'm just doing what you want us to do in the game." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> practice heads. Hull the, the coach goes, get off the ice. Practice is over. <laughs> <laughs> Which made Hall happy. Hall was happy. Oh, yeah, made everybody happy. <laughs> right. uh, hey, Craig, you know, like, you know, Hully has always been, you know, so stubborn, yet he says what's on, you know, in his in his head. He just he doesn't filter it out. And one of my favorite lines of his was uh, Bob McKenzie tells this story that Hully was playing for St. Louis, and this was one of his times he was fighting with Keenan. <laughs> and so Bob walks into the dressing room, and and uh, Hully you know sees him, says, "Hey, Bob, what's going on?" And Bob's like, "Oh, not much, no complaints." And Hully says, "You want some?" <laughs> I just I mean, think that's you, such a such a great line, you know, like he's just. Well, you know about Holly too. I mean, Holly's a bright guy, he's a sharp guy, mm-hmm. and, and he's got a quick tongue, right? And I mean, and, you, and Ray, you nailed it. Like, I mean, he, he, what, 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 he, the thought bubble should be up all the time because most people, you want to put the thought bubble up, it comes right out of Holly's mouth. <laughs> Classic. Some of the stories Noodles has told too on uh, on Overdrive uh, about just you know guys on the ice, and he's just like, I guess you don't want to score tonight. I guess you don't want any goals or whatever. It's pretty much just yelling at people who are on the ice ahead of him. Oh, it's classic. Yeah, he is. And and just think, seven hundred goals. Mm-hmm. And you know, and a guy like he could just the way that he could shoot the puck was you know everybody would realize that and craig mentioned about how smart holly is i worked one year on tv with him at nbc and holly didn't love the meetings and all that stuff you know that was like (laughs) that wasn't his thing but we'd be watching a game and he'd say like why is that guy standing over there and i'd go you know what do you mean and he'd say well that guy why doesn't he move here and you'd look and it wasn't like on a power play. It was kind of on a random play. Mm-hmm. You do it all the time, and you go, wow, you know what? He's right. Like, the guy's in the wrong spot. Yeah. And he, just, he would just look at it and just know it's not right. And not often was he unavailable for a shot. Because as good a passer as Craig Janney and then Adam Oates was, as good as they were getting him the puck, the key a lot of times is the guy that's receiving it He's got to make himself available. And I think Hully did that better than anybody I've ever seen. Hmm. I never saw anybody make himself in the right spot more than him, especially when everybody on the other team was looking for him. We're all trying to stop him. And he just, like, materialized in the right spot. (laughs) Right. It, It was really impressive to watch. Yeah, I guess you saw that a lot, huh, Craig? Yeah, no, he was impressed. So, I mean, we went through, I mean, when we ended up signing him, we had a really good team. And, you know, what, what Holly had was something that our team sorely needed, and, and he provided it. But, uh, you know, I, I forget if it was halfway through the second year. There was a, there was a spot in time where, you know, I, I think the team had run into a little bit of a malaise and players run into a little bit of a malaise. And, you know, they, they, they just need things to be different. And uh, Ken actually put uh, Holly with uh, playing with Mike Keene and Guy Carbonell, uh just to try to mix things up. And those guys were strong personalities too, so you know they would ride Brett. But Ken ended up using him on penalty killing. I remember I remember Ken saying one time he goes, "Geez, he's a pretty good penalty killer." And Bob Ganey went back to it and he said he's a really smart player. And he says I don't think there's any situation in the game he couldn't play, which speaks to your. Uh, Ray about how smart he is. He really, he really understands the game. Yeah, one of one of the one of the great characters of yeah. the game for sure. Uh, you know, and you can be a character, 
um, and not be able to play, and there's lots of those guys, and then you can be a character and be a one-second Hall of Famer. Like They, they must yeah. have debated on Holly for one second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and in he goes. Well, uh, yeah. great, Craig. Thank you for your uh, for your time uh, with the podcast. Appreciate it. Uh, enjoy your work yeah. on uh, on TSN on the Overdrive and, and everything else that you do. Um, it's very passionate. I love when you get upset at everybody. So that's that's great. <laughs> it makes me laugh. Um, yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah, Craig, Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> awesome. Great. Thanks, Craig. Okay. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Steve. All right, thanks, Craig. Thanks for your time, uh, Ray. Thanks for getting them on uh, after I got Timu. So you're you're working on the guests. I like that. It's good. Good oh, to see. So, so now it, is there a competition on this? <laughs> I got Timu, and I think and I can Timu. get I think I can get Robin Regeer. He's a mutual friend of a friend. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, um, Ray. Something close to your heart, and we've touched on it uh, last few shows. The USA Hockey and the women's national team. Um, I've been following this uh, closely, as of you, of course. Your wife, Cami Granado, a Hall of Famer and one of the great all-time USA women's hockey players. Um, I thought they had a deal. It seemed like, okay, so we talked about a couple shows ago, the genesis of this and what's going on and everything else, and, and I was follow, been following this. It looked like they had a deal. And then the next thing I saw uh, a day or two later was uh, uh, Division Two players were refusing USA Hockey's advances to play for the World Championships in, in Michigan, which told me, I'm like, wait, what? Huh? Did I miss the deal? It didn't happen. And now it looks like, Ray, the, the NHL men's, USA men's players have come together a little bit. This is getting uglier than it is getting uh, uh, better. Well, it's actually going to be solved today. Oh. Uh, one way or another. Okay. Um, so uh, today is Monday. And when I say today, I guess it could go into tomorrow. But um, basically what happened was USA Hockey and the women's team and their representatives met last week. They had a handshake deal. But USA Hockey had to take that handshake deal to their executive board. Mm-hmm. The women assumed the deal was done because they'd just shaken, shaken hands yeah, on it. Sure. The executive board turned the deal down, sent back a counterproposal that was worth less. So the girls rejected the it. The girls are like, huh, wait, huh? Yeah, <laughs> so they rejected it. And that's when USA Hockey started reaching out to all these other players who in support, have almost unanimously, as far as I can understand, uh, rejected the overtures of USA Hockey. So now they're in a spot. So there's a conference call today um, going on um, with USA Hockey and the women's representatives. Um, the, the deal will get proposed, whatever deal is getting proposed, um, and they'll vote on it today both from the U.S. side, you know, mm-hmm. from USA Hockey side, and the women's side. Um, earlier Monday, uh, 14 U.S. senators had um, emailed Dave Olgren, mm-hmm. who's the, uh, one of the, the head director at USA Hockey, and uh, 14 senator, U.S. senators had emailed him, um, encouraging him to get a deal done. So the difference in around 2000 when... My wife, Cammie Granado, was um, involved in trying to improve the conditions that they played upon. Mm-hmm. They, they splintered. 
that team splintered because they didn't have a whole bunch of support. And one of the reasons they didn't have support, it was like they were in a fight in a vacuum. Because how would you get your message out? It was 2000. Yeah, true. Well, yeah, now sure. yeah. social media has played such a big part in keeping the momentum rolling or the awareness grows as more people become aware of it. More people say, hey, wait a minute, something should be done here. In a lot of cases, I would say, Steve, it's people don't even really know what the right thing is, mm-hmm. but they know what they're, what they're getting now is not the right thing. And so that is kind of where it's at. Um, I'm really hopeful that the USA Hockey and the, and the women can uh, come to an agreement that's palatable for both. Because I, I really think it's there. I, I do think yeah. the deal can be had. Um, it just depends. Really, it depends on what USA Hockey is willing to value uh, the women's program at. Yeah, I, I, uh, following it from the outside, I'm like, okay, I see what they do for the women. I see what they do for the men. Um, there's a deal in here somewhere. I'm sure it'll all work out. And now and then I was like, oh, maybe not. You know what I mean? Like, one yeah. thing I think is important, Steve, is the women are not looking for equal treatment. Mm-hmm. They're looking for equitable treatment. They're well aware that men's hockey brings in more revenue. Yep. They're well aware that, we, that men's hockey has a higher profile. They're, they're not dumb. They, they get it. But they're, they're looking for some equitability in the treatment that they get. Like, the men, when the men have a training camp, um, when the men travel, it's all different. And they're saying, look, we just want an equitable treatment <laughs> just, for that. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's too much to ask, considering nothing's really changed since the first team, which was in 98. They got a, they got a better deal from 98 to 2002, but since that time, it's pretty much been the same. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you brought up the jersey, uh, the logos for the gold medal jersey. It's a little, that's a little... Well, I mean, if you're yeah. looking for equitable treatment, yeah, there's exactly. three gold medals in U.S. Olympic history. In 1960 and 1980 by the men, and in 1998 by the women. And when they unveiled the new jerseys in 2014 for Sochi, they didn't have the 1998 crest on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, like, seriously, really? right. pay attention. I, I know. I just... Give a damn, something. But they didn't, they didn't even consider it, which to me, you don't even really need to know a whole bunch more other than... Yep. They it couldn't be more back of mind yep. than that. No, oh, I agree. I agree that that to me is a is a big a big sign. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin, thirtieth goal of the year. So okay, no big deal. He's one of the greats, one of the all times for sure. Uh, I saw this pop up on the screen. Um, he's the third guy to start his career with thirty goals a year. Um, Gretzky, of course, right? Do you know who number one was? Yeah, it's Mike Gartner. 15 years, Mike Gartner, to start his career, scored 30. And I know he scored over 700. I think he was over 700. Um, but I was like, wow, Mike Gartner. I forgot how good Mike Gartner was. 15 years. Mike, Mike Gartner was a terrific scorer. And he got into this, you know, he, the, the con to his pro, which was scoring, mm-hmm. was that he couldn't perform in the playoffs. And I don't know if that's fair or not fair, yep. but he was on teams that underachieved in Washington. Washington had some pretty good teams around that time, and yep. they didn't win. He went to the Rangers, and 
the year that they won the cup in 94, Gartner was traded um, for, for Anderson uh, at the deadline. Yep. yep. And so he never got to the biggest of stages. But man, he could score. He could skate and he could really shoot. When you're beating Wayne Gretzky in a record, that's good. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. Now, I would say in a goal scoring way, mm-hmm. so Gartner's 15, 30 goal years. Yep. Mike Boss, he scored 50 goals yeah. nine straight years. Yep. In the 10th year, he scored 35 and hurt his back. In 60. Yeah, 35 and 60, I think. And then yeah. retired. Yep. I'm done. Like, just think of that. <laughs> so he could say, yeah, every year I played, I scored 50 goals. <laughs> right. Except the last year when I missed 20 and I still got 30. Yeah. And I couldn't tie my feet. Yeah, I can't bend over. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, crazy. Uh, hey, uh, touch on the, the – we'll take some reader questions, some Twitter questions from uh, people. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't do your homework, Ray, on the Hockey News Top 50 Prospects that have been drafted. So I didn't want to well, touch what on What homework do you want me to do? You sent me them. And, I know. Uh, did you ever look? Did you see that Clayton Keller was the number one uh, drafted prospect outside the NHL? Yeah. yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So Clayton Keller, uh, Puvi Arvey, uh, Thomas Shabbat, Charlie McAvoy. Are you okay yes. with that? Do you? Well, I, you know, look, I, I thought most of my viewings on these guys is mm-hmm. probably 10 or 15 games over two World Junior Championships. Yep. Uh, Clayton Keller will make his NHL debut in his hometown of St. Louis tonight uh, for Arizona. He signed his, um, his professional contract on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at the list. Uh, look, I, I think Puya Yarby is, is still going to be a star. And when I say still, yep. he's 19. Right. You know, like the the fact he's in the American League, I think people will probably lose the luster over him. But he's big; he can really shoot it. He can skate. I think he's going to be a terrific player. Um, I think Shabbat and McAvoy will be excellent players. Erickson Eck, I think they can be difference maker players. Clayton Keller reminds me a lot of Johnny Goodrow. Oh, he does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shifty. Yeah. Small. Um, you know, I don't know what they list him as, but he's not a very big guy. Mm-hmm. But he's got that same sort of uh, game-breaker abilities. Um, Joel Eriksson Eck, I believe, is more of a third-line player, mm-hmm. but will be a really dependable player for a long time. That's the top five. So, yeah, I don't have a problem with any of them. Yeah, and Sergachev, the Canadians, uh, you've, been, you've been high on him for, for a while. Like Sergachev yeah. a lot. Yep. Uh, he's listed number nine. Yep. Um, I think he will be a defenseman that can play both ways. Um, he can be, he can be, and is physical. He can move the puck. He can shoot it. I, I think he's going to be a really good defenseman. Um, of the top ten, uh, the one that I will look forward to seeing the most next year is Pierre Luc Dubois, mm-hmm. who had a really tough World Junior for Canada. And I want to see what he'll be like. He was Columbus's first pick, third overall in the draft last year. And I'm really curious what a year of development would bring to Dubois. Yeah, should be should be interesting. Yeah, they skipped over uh, Pui Arvey to, to to get him. So, um, all right. Uh, then, you, then you get into like the middle guy, like yep. you know the next ten or so. And Colin White just signed um, yeah, his amateur Ottawa. trial contract with Ottawa. He'll turn pro next year. Uh, Kaprizov, Kirill Kaprizov is another Minnesota pick. He had an outstanding World Junior tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Logan Brown, I think, is going to be slower to the party. Um, he's six foot six. Most big guys take take time to pick up their foot speed, pick yep. up their coordination. Um, you know, uh, to you're, you, when you're in junior, you can lean on people and push them out of the way. Yeah. And in the pro game, uh, he played a couple exhibitions this year in Ottawa that I saw, and his agility needs some work. 
But again, he's 18. I, I think that's, uh, that I wouldn't even be concerned in the least. Um, and that's maybe a little case of Dylan Strom, who was number one on this list last year. Uh, Dylan Strom, bigger guy, Phoenix pick. Um, just still, is, is he into that umbrella where you know he's got to get used to the game well, speed? Well, I think he's got to. He'll always have to improve his skating a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he did not have a very good uh, World Junior tournament. Scored scored quite a few points, most of them on the power play, but really struggled. And I don't know. Um, because it happens to, you know, I've done the tournament now half yeah. a dozen years. It happens to players in their second year at times. They, there's a frustration to them right away. Like It's almost like they, they can't believe they're back. They think they should be in the NHL. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that's what Strom was like, but I saw a lot of frustration on him. Now he's yeah. going to have a chance to make Arizona in the summer again or in the fall next year, yep. and we'll see where his game's at. But I don't know why they would sour on him as a pick. I, I don't think yep. they should. I mean, I'm going through these these picks, and, man, there's all kinds of fantastic young players here, and some of them are going to make it, and some of them won't. Mm-hmm. And that's just the that's just the evolution of, of the way draft picks are, because if, if yep. they all made it, that means everybody, you know, that, yeah. there's 35 guys on this list. That means 35 guys in the NHL are going to be out of a job in a year. That's, that's not going to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. Um why wouldn't Mike Babcock send Matt Martin to go serve the five-minute penalty? Why would you – we saw this in the Columbus game. The Leafs had to kill a seven-minute, uh, almost seven-minute uh, penalty kill because I guess – I didn't know this, Ray. I've been watching game my whole life. I had no idea that at your leisure you can just send somebody over to the box. Yeah, you just need a whistle. I had no idea. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why he didn't. Um, I really don't. Um, he said after the game that'll never in his yeah. lifetime happen again. <laughs> when you think of it, though, when's the last time you saw a five-minute major oh. without a whistle? <laughs> yeah, no idea. Do not you know, remember. Like I can't right. even think of one. Nope. And so I, I assume he's like, yeah, well, when we get closer to three minutes or two minutes, I'll you know, send a guy over there. Now, when I played, we'd get a five-minute major. I'd just get off the bench and go serve it. <laughs> I was never killing penalties anyway. Right. And I liked going over there. You got to talk yeah. to the guy right, opening the door. You have a bottle of water. It's not your penalty. Yeah, yeah. You don't feel shame there right. anyway. Right. You you have one shorthanded goal to your in your career, and it was in the playoffs, right? Yeah, I was in the. I took a penalty in uh, game one uh, against Pittsburgh in yep. the semifinals or in the division finals yep. of that year. Took a penalty in the first minute. Somebody took a penalty in the second minute. So we were down five on three to the Penguins on that yeah, power play. On that team, right. Francis, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was an amazing power play. Somehow we killed off the first penalty, which was me. I come out of the box. They pass it back to the point. Tom Fitzgerald, who's the <laughs> no. assistant general manager with the Devils now, he dives and pokes the puck, and it bounces over Larry Murphy's stick. I come out of the box, get a breakaway, and score. Nice, nice work. Only shorthanded goal in my life. Yeah, well, yeah. of my professional career. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Um, I just, I, I'm, I, I guess I should be embarrassed to know that you did not have to have a guy in the box. I really thought I'm just like I didn't know you could just send somebody over. But uh, it's like a, you know, <laughs> when it happens, nobody even noticed. No, no. And the only, of course, the major is that Polak got kicked out. Yeah. And so he can't serve as major. You could do it for a guy that's injured. Um, but a lot of times they, yeah. the penalty kill just starts, and then after a couple of minutes they go, oh, yeah, hey, hey you. Four-liner guy. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's crazy. Seven minute penalty kill. Good job by Toronto Maple Leafs on that. Good job by the killers. Uh, all right, let's get let's wrap this show up. Uh, Ray Ferrara on the uh, Paul Pocky podcast weekly show. Uh, download it, subscribe, get it on Stitcher, get it on iTunes, everything else. Thanks everybody for the feedback. It's been great. Let's take some uh, some Twitter questions. Some of these questions weren't very good, Ray. But let's let's get into, into them. All right, Stephen Quinn says, uh, if you were GM of the Canucks, what are your top three moves this offseason? Top three things that you would do if you're Jim Benning. Well, first thing you got to do is organize your expansion list. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like everybody else, you're going you're gonna to lose somebody. Um, I would look to organize my... This kind of goes hand-in-hand with the next thing. I'd look to organize my roster to see what exactly are my biggest weak points that I have to improve upon because what you're going to end up with right now at the end of the year is a whole bunch of guys, and there's no clarity as to who's where. So you've got got, Besser is going to be on the team Mm -hmm. in all likelihood. Um, You've got Granlund. Uh, Vertanen, Vertanen, or no? Are we are we still on well, the fence? I don't know. Yeah, I mean he's got five okay. to six goals in the American League. I mean yeah. that doesn't scream he's got to be here, but sure. maybe they'll want to have him here yep. next year. So I would say my first thing is to get through the expansion draft, to organize my prospects, and to make my pick in the expansion draft. I'm not interested in anybody in free agency, except maybe a one year contract for a veteran on the blue line or maybe up front. Mm-hmm. So that would that that takes me that's like kind of one whole yeah. piece. I would explore what I'm going to do with the goaltending whether you're bringing back Ryan Miller or whether you're going to turn it over to Markstrom. And and Markstrom really hasn't done enough for me to say oh yeah I'd be really confident with that. Mm-hmm. That's number 2. And then number 3 I would look at either building a succession plan or creating one for the Sedins. Because you've got Louis Erickson for the next five years, whether you want him or not. Yeah, You just signed him. But Henrik and Daniel have one year left. Mm-hmm. Now, are you willing to move them this summer if you think they can't be top-line or second-line players for you? Are you willing to move them? You'll have to buy out, or you'll have to chew one of the contracts, probably $7 million Yeah, there's $7 million each, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you do that? And if you can... Would you look at moving them now? I would keep them closer to the deadline myself. That, that would basically be my summer plan. And I would really think about the coach. Yeah. I, 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 would, I would have to really evaluate whether well, I would bring Desjardins back. Now, they're eligible to sign the Sedins to an extension this summer. I mean, they, you've said they're, they're no, low-maintenance, great guys. You know what I mean? Would, guys. would you? Would they? Because we've said all that alone, and because they have a ton of money, and because of they love Vancouver, if you could re-up them at a one-year deal each year, one year, would you do that, or would they say no way? Uh, I wouldn't even approach them. No, on it. Okay, I, I would say to them, look, guys, you're playing let's this out this and, next yeah, year. Yeah. If if the year goes well, we want to re-up you. If the year doesn't go well, I'm not going to buy myself or paint myself into a corner. Right. And so they would be, they're going to either sign the Sedins to a one year extension next March if things go really well, or they're going to trade them. Uh, or I guess the third option is you let this contract run out and yep. figure it out next summer. But uh, to me, I wouldn't extend past next year because this year hasn't been great. Mm-hmm. 
And what would make you think it's going to get better? If it does, then you have to evaluate, is that the last kick at the can for them, or do they have another year left? Because they're not getting faster, they're not getting younger, and and the league is going that way. Um, yeah, and Ryan Miller, he, he won't. If you do want to bring back Ryan Miller, he doesn't do a one or two year deal. He's thirty six. Well, then he's not coming back. Yeah, he's thirty six. I think me. right. Um, well, not for me because yeah. he doesn't. He's not going to have a whole lot of other options. No, he wants to. You know, geographically, he wants to stay on the West Coast. His wife is an actress that most people know, and yep. and lives down in L.A. Well, he's not going to L.A. unless it's a backup for Jonathan Quick. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. He's not going to Anaheim. He's not going to, say, or not going to San Jose. Yeah, so in a way. Where else yeah, are you going to go? Sure, right. So I, I, would, I would hold firm. Um, two would be the absolute maximum, but I don't even think I would go two years. Yeah. The only way I would is if I don't think Thatcher Demko, who's their top goalie prospect, mm-hmm. is going to be ready into the second year. Like if he's ready at the, if you think he's ready in one more American League year, and then, you know, the start of eighteen nineteen, he's ready to play. Then I'd then I'd hold on one year. If you think he's going to need another year or part of that second year, then I would look at two years. Uh, another question: uh, Which player from the eighties and nineties would be best equipped to play today's game? We touched on this with Timu, uh, Timu Solani, and Paul Correa in their prime with they, the they three both on would three. Be phenomenal, phenomenal. Theo, Theo Fleury. Sure. Yeah. I mean, almost any star from the yep. 80s and 90s. Yeah. Uh, like, if you think about it, like, you're talking about star players, right? Like, do you yeah. think Brett Hull would have problems today? <laughs> Probably right. not. Yeah. Wendell? No. Um, no. Well, too I don't much. know. Now you're going into, I know he's your boy, but no, you're going into a different I'm star player. I'm talking Wendell, about star. Because he's, he's not on the level of the guys we're talking I, about. I disagree. All right. Um, Oh, good. you can disagree. You're wrong. There's <laughs> nobody that would. You find me the first person that could say Wendell Clark was a better, more productive player than Paul Correa. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look or around. Or Mussolini. I'll ask somebody in Toronto. Brett Hull. Those were the three guys. <laughs> find the guy. Find the guy. Right. And he can't be sleeping on a bench. <laughs> The Puck Twit says, what is the main difference? There's tons of differences, of course, but what's the main difference in minor hockey from Ray's days to Landon's to the current kids he has now? Uh, training skill costs. Main well, difference. There, there was none when I played. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I literally, I played two games a week and two practices a week. Yeah. One practice when I was little, two practices as I got a little older. There was no extra skating coaches or stick handling or we certainly weren't off-ice training. I was playing soccer and baseball. That yeah. was my off-ice training. And then when Landon came, um, certainly there was more um, more emphasis on, you know, you could, are you going to power skating? Are you going to a shooting clinic? And one thing that I think has happened is parents are so scared that their kids are going to fall behind that they feel the need to keep spending on extra because there's less access to open ice, to free ice. So that becomes a problem. Where else do you get the ice? But in hand-in-hand hand with that, Steve, nobody that I see ever does anything by themselves. I never see a kid stick-handling in his driveway. Mm-hmm. I never see a kid shooting, a, shooting balls or pucks into a net. You don't need to be on the ice with a, 
a coach standing over top of you telling you to transfer your weight. Yeah. What you need yeah. to do is have Just, repetition. Yeah. And the repetition should be fun. The, 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 so the difference is specialized coaching for sure, mm-hmm. certainly cost, and three is a lack of imagination. It's less fun. Yeah. There's no question it's less fun. Yesterday, um, there was open ice at the arena where the kids skate. And Riley, my 10-year-old, and his buddy went there. There was like seven or eight kids on the ice. They threw their sticks on the, in the middle, picked out two teams, and played a half-ice game. There were no adults on the ice. Yeah. They had their helmets and their gloves, and that's it. And they had a blast. They played for two hours. Yeah. And you know what? That it doesn't sound like much, but that's skill development. They don't even know they're developing it. Yeah, it's just it's just what what you did, night that's in exactly and night out. What we did, yeah. And we played, you know, like I used to go in my basement and shoot against. You know, the basement was like ten feet long. It's not like I, you know, had yeah. this shooting area, and I just shot pucks against a. We had a cement wall in the basement, and I drew a line or a square on it, on on this wall, and then later on an old door, and I just shot pucks at these two targets. That's all I did. Yeah. It was fun for me. I made my own game. Now it's, man, nobody does anything without supervision anymore. <laughs> right. And, do, I, and I think that sucks. Do, that's, that's to me, is the worst part of kids' sports. Do kids in Vancouver play street hockey? I don't see it. Growing up in Winnipeg, I mean, it was just, that was nightly, daily, everywhere. 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 We used to be pissed off when a car would come because we'd have to stop the game. Yeah. It was a road, however, yeah, yeah, and like we'd have to pull the nets off the, the yeah. street, you know, you, you know the old joke yeah. car, car, yeah, uh, and you'd pull, you know, the, but that like we played all the time, and that orange ball would hurt so bad. Well, in the driveway, we have we have a net, uh-huh. and the kids use the orange balls, and I got to go a net. Oh, <laughs> and uh, last week, Reese, our seven-year-old, he hit Cammy in the face with one of them, so she had this big bruise on her right below her mouth. She's like, "That hurt." Yeah, <laughs> like that. Those orange balls hurt. Oh, I know. I just, uh, I don't go back to Winnipeg much in the winter. Why would I? But uh, I don't. I wonder if it still goes on. I wonder if they still play. You know, I, I don't know. That was. I don't think much. Yeah. I don't think kids do it anywhere near as much because they're. Oh, I think there's probably a lot of reasons. They're tied to their iPads. They're, mm-hmm. um, they have more ice time to get to, so there's less free time. Free time was the time we played, right? After school, on yeah. weekends. Yeah. And, and there's less of that. Yeah, it's crazy how much we you know played of it when we're little. Uh, last question from KBW underscore 37. This is easy for you, Ray. Will the, or will the Oilers win the Cup within three years? Three years. Well, it's not easy because how would you know? I know. That's what I mean. Um, you just say yes or no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a guess. I, I know. Mean, yeah. Um, no. No. And here's why I'll say no. I'm going to pick, if somebody asks me to pick any team in the next three years, I'm going to pick the field. Yeah, true, right? Exactly. Yeah, give me the field. Give me something. I'm taking better. the next other right. 10 teams over one team all the time. Who had LA winning? Who had Pittsburgh winning? You know, right? I mean, it's just—it's too close, and everything has to go right to pick one team. It's not like the days when the Oilers won five in a row, and the Islanders won four in a row, and the Canadians won five in a row. Yeah, 
That's never happening again. Look for the team that switches their coach, right? In, in, in near the end of the season. Seriously, well, like it really Barry works. Trotz says you're wrong this year. Yeah, I know, right? No, I, I, <laughs> he's hoping you're wrong. <laughs> I know. I, I hope Barry does it. I, I, that'd be awesome. Um, all right, Paul Pocky podcast with Ray Ferraro. Thanks, Ray. Really appreciate it. You call in uh, Leafs Florida tomorrow and then uh, Leafs Nashville. And uh, so tune in on TSN to hear Ray's commentary. And uh, thanks to Craig Button for joining us. And most of all, thanks to you guys for listening. Really appreciate it. And keep the questions coming at Paul Pocky and uh, download, review. And uh, thanks, Ray. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks. Have a great week. And everybody, again, thanks for listening. And uh, let us know what you think. Talk to you soon.